Hey, welcome to Afterthoughts, where we're talking about a movie and our thoughts after. I am Ryan King, and joined with me today is uh, John Garcia. Hey, Ryan. I'm so excited to talk about one of the bleakest movies I've watched in quite a long time. As you can tell by my <laughs> voice, I'm, I'm overjoyed. <laughs> the downward cycle of violence. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the violence is ingrained in us, as Joe Pera would say. Yes. Uh, and joining us today, we have a special guest, a, a longtime listener, but a, a longtime friend with me. Uh, you you were the one who, who won the podcast trip in an RV. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. You're the, you're yeah. the winner of the yeah. Forbidden Zone uh, watching, huh? Yeah, we got to watch a Forbidden Zone. I didn't even know I entered the contest. It was just a <laughs> surprise all around. It's a it's a no opt in uh, required. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just already. That's like anybody can win. Patreon diamond level or whatever it's called, right? Like if you, yeah, really go up yeah, there, give, a, then give you us get enough an RV money trip through the years <laughs> we'll of the yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. We'll drive you back and forth across the country. Uh, yeah. So this is my my longtime friend uh, Warner Hahn. Hey everybody, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk about uh, one of the bleakest movies John has ever seen. That's going to be awesome. I had a great time. I thought it was an uplifting movie. Oh yeah, inspiring. A lot of good music, so you can dance too. Um, that was really exciting. So, uh, yeah, you're talking about the city of God. Rio de Janeiro, the beach, the nightlife, the romance, but 15 miles from paradise is a place called the City of God. A place where one man must infiltrate a war between two crime lords to tell a story the world needs to know. And everything that voice just said is misleading copy from Miramax that unjustifiably reduces the complexity of this Brazilian crime epic. Maybe that piece of shit Harvey Weinstein thought everyone in the audience was a bunch of mooks, too dumb to understand the nuance of City of God. Uh, came out in 2002. It makes a lot of lists for some of the most important films made. Um, top 100, top 25 for a couple of different places. Um, foreign film, no doubts for this one. So I mentioned Time Magazine's top 25 films of the 2000s, 100 best films in the 21st century from The Guardian. I picked it because it was eye-opening to me when I saw it. And I go back and look at it, and it holds up. There's uh, a huge amount of thought and research that went into the movie itself, and it shows a great depiction of life on the streets of Rio de Janeiro and the favelas, and specifically a neighborhood called the City of God. It walks you through the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, following the lives of some of the characters that are most important. Um, I feel like it just doesn't get enough play nowadays. Like, right, It's one of those movies that just sort of disappeared, even though when you go back and look at it, you can objectively say, this is like an amazing film. Uh, it's shot really beautifully. The music, like as I mentioned, is... Is, is well done. It's um, incredibly realistic and gritty for the life that was there. It's respectful as well as the life that was there. It's uh, semi-autobiographical. Um, and it taught me a lot about Brazilian culture and Brazilian history, and I started investigating afterwards. And it's, it's just a really cool um, vignette into a life that is so very different from what we see in the United States, right? So i uh, excited to talk about it. So I guess yeah. I'll go into a little synopsis of it, or you want to start? Pop somewhere yeah, you, else there. You can give us yeah, give us a like high level. Yeah, this is hard because it's it's one of those with a ton of flashbacks. <laughs> it's literally every scene is chock full of meaning and important things that happen. They go back and take a look at it. 
third or fourth time, you're going to see brand new things each time. Uh, but by and large, it follows the story of the favelas in Brazil, in, in Rio de Janeiro. Um, starts off with the Tender Trio, uh, this uh, group of three friends that essentially do petty crimes in the area. Um, one of the younger people within that gang is someone called Little Dice, uh, who is very early on shown to be a massive sociopath, uh, who <laughs> then makes a name for himself in the 70s and 80s as these temporary houses that started off in the 60s kind of grow and build and morph into this crazy network of different kinds of uh, streets and its own economy, its own black market. Police are completely off the, off the radar here. Um, and it shows you how the drug dealing world really lives. And each time they go into a new area, they, they do a sort of like a little bit of a flashback. There's one really important area where they're doing a raid of an apartment. Um, and they take the time, stop the movie, and show you the history of that apartment as it goes through multiple cycles of violence and gang ownership as it leads back into that moment when Little Dice, now Little Z, takes over the drug trade in uh, the city of God. Uh, follows two people like Benny, his best friend from childhood, as he tries to become a playboy in the area. Um, and uh, you see his rise and his fall within the, the movie itself. Um, all the while, your narrator through the thing is someone called Rocket, who's trying to make a name for himself as a photographer. He's just desperate to get out of the city itself. Uh, and he thinks that education and photography specifically is going to be the ticket out of the, the favelas. Um, that is a short synopsis of the entire thing. It ends with a massive gunfight in the streets between Carrot, uh, another drug lord, and uh, Little Z after his friend Benny dies when he goes just absolute bananas um, and tries to start murdering everybody. Um, and rockets at the very end of the movie take some very important shots. Being from that area, he ingratiates himself with the local journalists and is able to convince them to uh, print his photographs. And they hire him essentially to go in and take pictures of this underground world that they don't have access to. He takes some very important shots of the death of Little Z. Um, he takes also some important shots of the bribery that's happening, the corruption of the police officers, but it's very clear at the end that he doesn't decide to publish those because he's afraid of the cops themselves. Uh, and there's just a, a ton of different aspects to this movie uh, that you can dissect for, I'm sure, three hours on each front. Um, but I'm curious to know, what, what, were, what were your impressions of the movie? For me, this is, I don't know, like a top five movie. When people ask about my favorite movies, this comes up quite a bit, and I, I recommend it all the time. I'm fairly certain the first time I saw it probably was with you, or if not, I probably recommended it to you shortly thereafter. Um, easily like one of the best foreign films and in, in, in a movie that's in, engrossing enough to kind of hook anyone, even if they're not necessarily into foreign films, but then also gives you a, I mean, I, it's, it, I guess going to say like realistic, but honestly, the actors are a, a number of mm -hmm. them are people from the city of God who grew up exactly like this, exactly during some of the times of this even. Um, and that is amazing. Um, the cinematography is really interesting as well. Like we can kind of talk about some of the shots they do. It is way more shaky cam than I, re I remembered it being, I think, because now that stands out more where back then that was sort of a novel, like rough way to do things. Um, but yeah, like to, to, this is I've watched this multiple times. I kind of love it every time. Uh, real, real quick from Darla. She liked it, but said she remembered why she's never watched it a second time. 
and she doesn't ever want to watch it a third time. <laughs> uh, I, I think just like that was like partway through the movie. That wasn't even at the end. There was just like enough of a violence at a point that it kind of just hit a cap where she was like, I, I kind of feel done with the violence in this. Did, did um, she tell you which scene that was? I think it was when, uh, is it Z is with the two kids? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He does the. He essentially does the raid on the little kids, and he makes the one. It's like the trial of steak the and fries. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And he makes <laughs> yeah. steak and fries kind of get get into the gang. Yeah. And I think that was the point where it's just like, all right, this is the violence is going so far, right? And you've seen so much. Um. Yeah. So I don't, know, John. What's your what's your take? Yeah, this is my first time seeing uh, City of God, and it's in, yeah, it's in, it's already in like one of my top tiers of movies that I w- will watch again, but only when I have to like cool down. Basically, I can't do it yeah. immediately after. It was really gripping. Um, I was, uh, yeah, I was just kind of floored by the amount of just wonderful cinematography in it, even with the shaky cam, like. I just I'm fresh off watching something from 2003 that was just trash, which is 1114. <laughs> um, and that had shaky cam and it was like all of this in your face, edgy shaky cam. And this felt like way more of a texture that it was added on top of with intent, not just like, a oh, we're going to do this because we're the 2000s or any shit like that. Um, yeah, this kind of goes in with uh, despite it being like a crime epic. And I think that the realism and the fact that they used actors from city of God, it really reminds me of, um, uh, come and see the Soviet era film from 1985. That's like brutal. That uses a lot of Belarusian people who survived like the Nazi, uh, genocide. And that has like its own trauma kind of ingrained in the film. And I feel like this movie has that same kind of quality to it where when I'm watching it, I'm just silently always mouthing the words, my God, uh, and always kind of in awe of, of how much brutality there is and how much despair there is, but also how much there seems to be kind of a hope in the survival and like the, the scrappiness of the people who, uh, are trying to get by in, um, Rio de Janeiro or like in, in Brazil, like in, just as I can understand it from this, cause I'm a very limited scope here. I have no real knowledge of Brazilian culture or like uh, the most I knew was like, Oh, this is in Portuguese. Um, and the rest <laughs> of it though, I was like, okay, just, I'll just let it take me for the ride. And it really felt like that same kind of vibe I get watching like a Scorsese crime drama where I'm like learning about a whole culture and I feel like it's being respected and honestly rendered. Um, and I was like, all right, uh, I I'm in it. I'm in it for the entire thing. Like the long haul, show me what you got. And, it yeah it just kind of blew my mind that each segment seemed to peel back more layers and introduce more things and it was like stacking and stacking all of the history on top of itself um and it never it never stumbled it never felt like it it hit any like kind of hiccups along the way it was just so meticulously crafted and i loved it um despite me opening this by saying it's one of the bleakest movies i've watched it's also like one of the best movies i've watched and i think that it's that that honestness to it and that kind of faithful rendering of what it's trying to show you um, that that really gets to the heart of why it is those two things, why it can be so bleak, so beautiful and so overwhelming um, and, and wonderful and, and as wonderful as it can be for a story that's about a bunch of people being murdered in different cycles of violence. Um, but, yeah, that, that's kind of my initial thoughts on it and, and my take. Um, 
I can say also it was pretty easy to grasp the character names. I was able to follow along really well with that, <laughs> considering Ryan, you and I have watched movies that have like a host of characters. <laughs> we'll go back in time and like introduce more characters. And I just don't know past a certain point when my brain shuts off. This one, I was like, all right, that's Rocket. That's Lil Z. Even after he's like, I'm no longer Lil Dice. I'm Lil Z. I was like, all right, I'd, I'd register it. Sure. Yeah. Um, and like Blackie and like anybody else, I can like start rattling off all the names now. And I think that's a testament to how much it cared for its characters and establishing them and making you know that they were real people and that, that kind yeah. of thing. So. Especially with the crisscrossing of, of the characters, because we see them in a couple different points of time. And there's certain people. One thing yeah. um, to dig into is the flashbacking because it's real. That's an interesting. But we'll see a character, and it's like not important right now. That totally is important down the line, mm-hmm. and then you kind of Usually reconnect. Important. Yeah, you kind of reconnect these dots and recontextualize the touch points they've had to get to where they go. Um, in the in the so way that's... that like little dice disappears for a huge chunk, and then he's a major player later, right? Or like knockout Ned is there for one that's kind second of the, and then he's important later the interesting thing i heard about when i started reading some of the reviews and, and comparisons with other movies is that with the flashback nature of it people kept comparing it to pulp fiction which i thought was inaccurate because mm-hmm. pulp fiction is just out of order and confusing for the purpose of kind of showing you emotionally a storyline that makes more sense yeah. whereas here there's a lot more sense to the way that they frame these things right so like when you pick up Knockout Ned, you know exactly enough about him at that point so that the later when they do a, uh, the full story of Knockout Ned, it makes sense to you. They give you a little bit of who he is as a person. He's someone who was humiliated very early on in the film uh, during, during a dance or a celebration. Uh, and then the next time you see him, he's on a bus uh, with a very honest job. He explains very quickly they used to be a police officer. He's a great marksman. And they just give you that little bit of information. And they tell you it's going to be important later on. But when they do, they, they simply, again, they pause the movie so much to show you and fill in the gaps of the knowledge and other uh, vignettes of, of this entire other life and this other movie that they could have made, right? And it feels organic at that point because I already kind of know that I need to care about that character. So when it comes to it, it's a nice little pause, a nice little break. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I really like that flashback scene. Is there anything that you guys would compare it to? It's funny because when you were like, they they compare it to Pulp Fiction, my brain was like, that's a lie. Um, it's obviously <laughs> Memento, but in linear form. Uh, and, I, and I was like, that's not right either. Uh, so I think my brain just like doesn't know how to categorize what kind of flashback system or like this, this sort of semi-linearity, but at times it needs to hop back. It really like dog ears, I guess, these, these different pages and chapters in people's lives. Um, yeah, I don't know what that, I don't know what is closest. Uh, but I do know when I think about other movies that do something similar to this, where this is that moment where like a filmmaker takes your hand and says, you just have to trust me that this is going to be important later. Yeah. And sometimes it can really feel like a studio note, you know, like they're just like the audience yeah. is going to be too dumb to understand what this is. You got to tell them that this is going to matter later. This doesn't feel like any of that. Like, I think it establishes such a good trust in saying, you don't have to worry about this person. They're going to show up later and be big. And when it actually shows you those moments, there's such a payoff to, yes, you were right. Like, it's interesting to me that this movie builds that trust as it slowly introduces you to like the families in City of God. Um, just by using that flashback mechanic alone and kind of letting you dog ear these moments in your brain, you don't spend as many cycles thinking about that character or being like, that was weird. Why did they linger so long on this conversation with knockout Ned? Like, why would this matter? 
Um, so I, I really appreciated it. Whereas in other movies, it feels condescending at, at times. I, I think the closest thing in my mind is like a documentary or something that is historical. They're not necessarily <laughs> as abrupt as this is. This feels a little bit like someone telling you a story and they're like, oh, by the way, let me go back and tell you who this guy is. Right. Like, but sometimes in a documentary, you will, especially like a longer form, like a multi-episode kind of yeah. documentary, they'll talk about things and then they'll have an episode where they kind of go back and give you some new context on something that like wasn't important to tell you in the first three episodes without like confusing you. Yeah, you're thinking um, so of that's like, kind of the closest like last dance kind of has that, I think, with Michael Jordan. And there's a few others where like, they'll, yeah, they'll so, be like this yeah, a little game, bit like that. Right. Then you yeah. Go all the way back. And, and I don't know. All the recent documentaries I've watched have been on uh, cults, but this, <laughs> this, the same thing. <laughs> we'll thing about Ryan right now. Just... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a like, fascination. It's all it is. <laughs> yeah. With the, they'll kind of start you off and they want to hook you. Right. The same way this movie, the initial open is this like he's caught between this moment of violence. God, well, we I mean, the initial thing beginning? is chasing the chicken. But yeah, like so we kind of had that initial violence. And it's like, hold on, let me back up and tell you who I am um, in a the cult things, they'll usually kind of start with like the, what ends up being the cult, not the, how it began. And then it'll go back to how it began. But sometimes someone will come in that like changes the way the cult goes or causes something. And they have to go back and be like, yeah, this person is, you know, grew up this way. And they kind of give you all that. Yeah. You go back to the baby photos after you've shown the Jim right, Jones right, massacre. Yeah. Yes. It's <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It's um, kind of funny. Like that, the mechanic for the flashback is throughout the entire movie, but the the one that we sort of paused on actually isn't a flashback, right? It's like the knockout net story really does go forward from that point. Yeah. It doesn't actually show yeah. you his life as a police officer. It doesn't actually go back that way. But yeah. uh, it still it, plays the It feels the same, right? It feels the same as all the other flashbacks that we had. And I, lo I love that you mentioned the, the first scene because I, I, when I was doing this originally writing my notes, I was trying to be like John and like actually come up with like little titles for different sections. And my first one was why the chicken rock cross the road to get away from the gang members with guns. <laughs> right? and it's, it's literally just this handheld camera running through the streets of the favelas and just trying to chase up there's chicken as little as he is telling all of these little children, children like between the ages of six and 12 with handguns to stop the chicken. Right. And, yep. and chicken survives miraculously uh, and comes right in front of a rocket. Uh, and you know, to you met me in a shadow of it. He he looks up and he sees little dice with just this army of people with guns. And as as he's like freaking out a little bit about little little Z being there, police officers show up behind him. He's literally stuck between these two worlds, about to go into this massive war. And what has become my favorite thing on the rewatches, uh, little Z asks or just says basically, "Hey kid, grab the chicken," because he has no idea who Rocket is. Yep. Right. And so then if, if you notice it, like throughout the movie, it's like six or seven times when he should really know who Rocket is. But he always asks, what's your name, man? Who are you? Who's that yep. guy? And it's always the same character as your narrator. It's just beautiful shot. Also, the fact that we come back to it. So like we get both ends. It bookends the movie, that chicken. Not is, only uh, that, but like really it bookends cool. the movie and adds that extra context onto why the cops were there. And there's that uh -huh. like, because initially... Yeah. You see police drive up and you're like, oh, they're here to like clean up the streets and do whatever, potentially, you know, if yeah, you're yeah, subscribing yeah. to what police are supposed to do. Uh, I suppose. Not at all for them. Uh, yeah. And it's just like, no, that's not at all. Uh, <laughs> we just want him to pay the money for the guns that he bought from us. <laughs> yep, yeah. That's favorite, right. <laughs> they go back to that scene in the, like the two seconds after that is the police going, nope, got to get out of here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. They just turn and walk away. <laughs> um, 
No, but it's it's a it's a really interesting shot, and I wrote that in the notes as well. Like, I bet you're wondering how I ended up here, right? Like, that's a classic mm-hmm. thing as well. It's like the intro that shows you the future and then goes back. There's there's a lot of things that kind of happen that I don't know if they're like homages or like the first time this film was really done that, but it's 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 cool to see and go back to it. Um, yeah. But you guys mentioned the violence, and I did want to talk about that a little bit because I, I I do agree with you, John, that it can be a very bleak interpretation of the world because of just the sheer amount of violence. Uh, there's guns in that first scene. There's guns everywhere. There's guns so many different places. Um, but it's not really like the meat of the movie. The meat of the movie does a really good job of showing you the character development as these people go through uh, you know, their, their story over the course of 20, 30 years. Uh, they fall in love. Shaggy's story uh, paralleling Benny's story. Benny being Shaggy's little brother. Shaggy is uh, part of the tender trio in the very beginning of the 60s. Um, and he uh, is the gang leader. He ends up being shot by the police trying to escape with his girlfriend, uh, Beatrice. Um, and in a very tragic scene, is is beautiful. Like they're they're on their way escaping out. Cops are chasing them, and the car breaks down. He has to get out and push. And so he pushes his girlfriend out of the city while he ends up being gunned down in the streets by the police officers. Um, you see the interludes every once in a while with Angelica too showing you that there's a lot more to life in this place that's happening all around them. Um, and I think that's really what, what ties it together so that the violence doesn't feel as bad because it's, it's not yeah. like American History X. The American History X, I watched all the way through with like clenched fist. I thought I was going to start mm-hmm. bleeding in my palms because I was that viscerally upset by the thing that I was watching. And here, yeah. I honestly could get lost in the storytelling and just enjoy the, the movie for what it was. And then every once in a while, the music would stop and extreme violence would happen, whether it's forcing a seven-year-old to shoot a five-year-old or it's uh, showing that, that hotel murder where, uh, where little Dice at the time uh, really shows off how much of a psychopath he can be. Yeah, and those moments too, like it, it was fascinating. Ryan was saying the flashbacks feel like, you know, kind of a documentary style tool. Well, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that feels like a documentary that feels like because of that handheld camera work, and because of the long takes that they do in certain shots, like I think of, uh, yeah, Shaggy running from the police and being gunned down. I don't really remember, like, mm-hmm. it, when I think about, like, an American movie that would show that, I think about multiple cuts. Um, I'm thinking about, like, mm-hmm. an average studio that would make this kind of film where uh, it's something like, for some reason, I thought about Platoon in a way where they would just like linger for a really <laughs> long time on somebody being yeah. gunned down and like show it in all different angles and whatever. And here it is probably the most grounded of you see him get shot once and you can see occasionally you're trying to make out the entire time that Shaggy's running the momentum of his run and the momentum of bullets mm-hmm. and seeing those kind of coalesce slowly over the course of him running. It's completely uninterrupted and it's very visceral, but it's also not done in a way that is stylistically upsetting, like where they really emphasize that violence. They show it to you as it probably would be seen if you were like a bystander or you were in the car and you were Beatrice watching. And right. It didn't feel gratuitous. It didn't feel like there was yeah. no blood splattering everywhere yes. and just gory detail. It's just, this is the thing that happened. Yeah, the violence feels very matter of fact a lot of times. Like it, we mentioned the, the police. By the time you get to the end of this movie and the police shoot the guy who's their gun seller, just like, just Why shoot not? him. It, it's such like a, well, that was obviously going to happen kind of feeling after everyone betrays everyone throughout the course of this movie. Yeah. Um, there are a few moments that I do think like really stand out in the violence because it really is where those characters push something 
further. So like we're mentioning that where like the shooting of Shaggy kind of like took the whole favela into this, like we can't trust the police or any, or the system or anything anymore. Right. Kind of an upgrade. And the same thing, like little Z or Benny, we kind of like escalate right to this whole other level with that stuff. Um, but I do think like it, it, to me, the violence is a theme, but the point is the city Mm -hmm. versus something where American history X like, violence is kind of the theme like racism is part of it but really the violence is what makes that so much more than just people being racist to each other right it had to escalate it with a violence mm-hmm. to make you feel more of it where this one the violence is like that's what happens like we're not putting it in to make you feel anything like that's just part of yeah all of this like that's just what it is well there's there's actually some violence that's almost funny right you have the emotional violence like when knockout net gets shot mm-hmm. in the back by that kid and uh we're good with spoilers, right? Obviously, so yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the kid that shot Ned joined Knockout Ned's gang to avenge his father, who happens to have been killed by Knockout Ned. So he had a that little kid had a long. His name was Otto. He had a long term plan. He started <laughs> implementing it that day. Took yeah. months to accomplish, uh, but he ends up killing Knockout Ned. That was very emotional. Benny's scene, music cuts that because away. It's very emotional. Some of it's shocking. The motel scene is shocking. The 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 five year old getting shot is shocking. Yeah. Uh, some of it is um, is almost comedic, right? Like, do you guys remember when Tuba got shot? Yes, Tuba just keeps running his mouth and just wouldn't yeah. shut up. He's so annoying. He's just talking the whole time about how they should be brothers because they both got hurt in the same arm. And I was like, Tuba, you don't shut up. You're going to get shot. And then he got shot. Yeah. I was like, Well, I told you, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> how long have you been around Z? You know where this is going if you annoy him, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, and like even knockout Ned's. Uh, family getting shot up like so there's a the, the thing that turns knockout Ned from a peaceful individual to uh, a violent part of the gang really he joins Carrot's gang who's the rival against uh, little Z is that um, after uh, Benny's killed I believe I'm right in the, in the timeline yep. little Z goes crazy and he ends up raping knockout Ned's uh, girlfriend in front of him uh, mm-hmm. and was really trying to just humiliate the heck out of knockout Ned there's a scene there where Nakanes is like, why didn't that guy just kill me? Forward straight to Lil Z as he's walking towards the war with Carrot. Stops going to war with Carrot and says, hold on, why didn't I kill that motherfucker? And walks back to Knockout Ned's family and starts shooting up the entire house, killing a couple other individuals. Which is, you know, amongst all the other things, demonstrating how hubris gets in the way of you accomplishing your goal, right? Because Lil yep. Z <laughs> is, is, is obsessed with going and killing Carrot. But along the way, he stops multiple times to create more problems for himself that stop him from being able to kill Karen. Like, there was no reason to antagonize the cops. He had been paying bribes all the way through the movie. And then this one time when he's gearing up for war with Carrot, that's when he decides to screw over the police officers. Makes, for, tactically makes no sense. Yeah. Right? Brilliant. I, I love that. I, um, one other uh, question I had for you guys, because, you know, I, I bring up Knockout Ned's girlfriend, and it... it there's a lot of violence towards women in this movie. It's not shown. It's, again, not glorified in a way that I think a lot of violence towards women is. And I'll leave the way that violence is often glorified in other movies as well. Um, this is something that I was worried about watching it with my wife, Cecilia, uh, who uh, had to be brought back to with this movie twice because she noped out the first time in the original chicken scene. Uh, mm-hmm. She saw the chicken running and the, the knife being carved like a, like a sharpened. And immediately was like, nope, I can't do it. I'm walking away. It took me a month and a half to get her to come back to, to watch the entire thing. And I was worried the way they treat women in the movie was going to be problematic for her. And she was actually, she had a good point. It was, it was 
it was showing the reality without being gratuitous about that reality. Even that that scene where Nakao Net's girlfriend is being raped, it's away from the camera. You don't see her. There's nothing about her. It's just you know that it's happening and you feel the visceral reaction of it happening without having anything else to, yeah. to muddy the, the waters in that way. And the same thing happens with um, Shorty, who is Shorty's someone wife. The, yeah. Shorty's wife in the 60s, he's the person who helps inform the police about the, uh, the tender trio and, and what they're doing. He murders his wife because she had uh, an affair. But it's, again, you know, it's violent. I know a shovel was used, and I know he buries her alive in his house, but I don't see her getting hit, and I don't see her getting buried, right? I just know that those things are happening. They show it in silhouette in a way that's, that's sort of distancing yourself in a way that's, I think, respectful of the fact that they don't want to try and glorify those things. Yeah. What do you guys think about that? Even the kid being shot um, in, in the steak and fries challenge, I, I don't know how to call it something else. It sounds really wrong when I say it that way. Um, <laughs> I like it. But, <laughs> but even I'll that moment, no the, yeah, the, the, uh, the cinematography of that shot, um, because they show when they're having steak, like choose which kid you're going to kill. Um, he's, the- you can already tell from the framing, which kid he's going to pick, but they also go the extra mile of, uh, really blurring that out and showing him making the choice and not so much the result of the choice. Um, because it doesn't matter which kid he shoots in the end. Just if he shoots either of them, that means he's committed to this life now and he's going to be in it. Uh, and I appreciated that it, it refrained, it kind of shielded the audience from it while still letting you know what happened. Um, so yeah, those moments, it's almost like surgically represented at times with how it will show the violence. Like when it shows Benny getting shot, um, you don't see that up close. There's not like a, uh, a, a heavy emphasis on the actual shooting happening. It is this moment that just happens in between all the flashes. It literally happens in the blink of an eye and they do it in a strobe. So it's even more so a blink. Um, and then just everybody scatters and there's like all of the trauma of, Z screaming over Benny and blaming other people. And you just see the fallout from it. And there's that really just any gunshot or any murder is treated as like, this just happened. And then it moves on. It doesn't linger on that. It doesn't show you that them, somebody crawling to their, to like the steps and being yeah. shot multiple times. Even Z's death is off, off screen, screen behind a, a wall while a bunch of kids execute him. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, like it, it hides that brutality from you, but you still know it's there. It kind of reminds me, Dixon's going to love this, but it reminds me of a Brisson film, um, because <laughs> Robert Brisson loves to show the results of violence without showing the violence itself. And he puts it in your head so that you can kind of ingest it on your own terms, which this movie seems to do very masterfully. I, I think we kind of linger on the moments of violence that are key in changing Mm -hmm. this world so like shaggy's death benny's death is kind of played up a little bit larger because that was a big deal right sort of the community and then there's all this other violence that's kind of just flippant Mm -hmm. throughout it right and sort of these different moments that get highlighted yeah yeah tuba's just right out that's it, right? And, and yeah, so many times the violence is just sort of like it happened and we move on. There's even like a montage of just everybody shooting everybody all over the place, right? When we kind of get to the gang warfare. Um, I do always really like the, in the, it's in the background, like it is the point of the movie, but the way that you can see 
how from the Tinder trio at the beginning to what do they call the kids? The runts. The, the runts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This this violence over the generations and how each person increasing that violence, the next generation became just more accustomed to it and escalated it. That by the end of the movie, you're like, oh, that it's just six year olds that just want to kill people to kill people like they completely you know it's it's gone from like hey let's uh, you know the tender tree almost says you know robin hood like at the beginning right they're trying right. to like toss out the cash to everybody you're nostalgic for them right like yeah, yeah. what nice guys robbing the the gas <laughs> the gas trucks i was actually i wanted to ask you guys about that because there's a, a part of me that the first time i watched this movie i thought to myself man that reminds me of the wire and when marlo takes over from who's the Marlo takes over who is the gang oh my god on the wire i have not seen the wire i have not watched the wire <laughs> oh shit he's in a room where he's the only person who's seen the wire <laughs> oh my god this is the worst i, t- I totally remember now and the guys the, the gang's name was perfinity finn so perfinity finn gets taken over by marlo and the the thing about the wire and the way they show it is that marlo seems to be like crazy chaotic and and not playing by the rules and he goes into this established order and through his chaos, is able to take over the, the, the drug trade in that town. And the first time I was watching City of God, I kind of felt the same way. The runs are just pure chaos. They're lawlessness. That's the way they're describing the movie. They're the kinds of people that just run into a store, mess everything up, steal things, might shoot you, might not. They just run away, right? Like, there's, there's no order to them. And that's contrasted with the order that little Z had actually established, right? He says, you know, the runs aren't allowed to do stick-up uh, jobs inside of his town. He's creating a peace. He wants to control the level of violence in the community because the more violence there is, the more the press will force the police to come in and actually police the drug trade. So it's good business sense for him to create that order. Uh, but watching it a second time and a third time, there's that evolution, but it's cyclical. Like every single generation is going through the exact same thing because the Tender Trio also had an ethos, right? They had principles that they established. They wanted to have some order. They were the Robin Hoods. They were doing it for good reasons, right? And then the but chaos came in from... Yeah. From Lil Dice, who goes in and just starts murdering people on rampages, right? And when he goes to the favelas a couple of years later with him and Benny, they're starting off just doing stick-up jobs. They become the most feared robbers inside the city of God. And, you know, they're admired by some of the drug dealers, but they're basically the runts. They're not that different from what the runts were. It's just each one kind of goes through this, this coming of age of a drug lord where you start off lawless, chaotic, and you use that to your advantage to get power because people don't don't think you're predictable. You can't, you can't predict the runts killing little Z at the end. And then once you actually have power, in order to sustain that power, you create these rules and you force people to follow those rules until the next person comes in, breaks your rules and surprises you by murdering you. So it's, it's, I don't think it's escalating violence, even though I kind of, maybe it is, it's scaled up because the size of the city is larger, but it's the same kind of pattern each time, right? It's uh, it's, yeah. Like a cyclical, it's a, it's a revolution that occurs. Uh, it's yeah. just kind of inherent to the system that eventually, it reminds me of any, you think of like um, class conversations about new money and old money. Like they have the same thing for gangsters. Uh, there's a lot of like, you know, the old gangsters used to have honor and whatever. Um, and these new gangsters are just a bunch of thugs. That's like something I've definitely heard in a lot of crime films. And it has that same kind of air to it where I think they even say at one point that like the runts have no regard for the the laws of the slum, um, something like that. And it's, it's that same, like, 
oh, they just, they don't know how to follow. They don't know what, what it is to have this kind of law system or this honor system to it. And it's more like, no, they just haven't built their own yet. And they're going to like overthrow what's currently there. That's just the natural cycle of things in this kind of history of violence, the cyclical generational violence. The way, the way I kind of thought about it, um, another, well, I mean, more based in, in reality than this one is, but, um, the true events that inspire in cold blood, um, Truman Capote's book and, and multiple movie versions of, I do know having talked to family members who lived out in the country back then that they were like, that's when I locked my door. Like that's when we went and got a lock and we locked our door. We never thought we would need to lock a door out in the country. Like it just doesn't work that way. But then that changed their perception of the world as this like violence can come to my house and just come in with no reason. Even though there kind of was a reason, but like to someone in the country, it was like unfounded. Right. And I I kind of had seen that in this where there are certain events that I felt like it changed the perspective for everyone, you know, even leading up to these shots we see of (laughs) them interviewing a gangster on television. Um, And then also the shots like in the newspaper that it's like it, the 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 world almost kind of sees these events and then is like that changes like oh what we are like as a people or what we're supposed to do as gangsters like it kind of all shifts off of these key events yeah i found the media portrayal piece to be one of the funnier aspects of this <laughs> just because of it, it is very much an ego war um but but like it seemed like only like knockout ned didn't really give a shit about whether the media was going to interview, he wanted to use the media time to say, why the fuck are the police not really trying to arrest, uh, Lil Z? Why are they doing it to me only? Um, and it's kind of like a, an earnest way to call out the police for knockout Ned and, and use his, uh, gunshot wound for good, I suppose in a way. Um, <laughs> but then you get like Lil Z's just like, well, this is bullshit. Uh, I need to be on the, the paper. <laughs> I need to be, Everywhere that that knockout net is, because if I'm not there, then obviously I'm losing some kind of advertising race for who's the biggest <laughs> boss of this city. Um, and it it brings up that kind of parallel between Benny and Lil Z in how they run the city um, and how they see running the city together that I, I really found fascinating because Benny seemed to have a bigger grasp on social currency and what actually appealing to the heart of people was because everybody knew he was like the coolest hood in the city. That was what he was referred to as. Whereas Lil Z was just always a terror and everybody mocked him when they were not in positions where he could kill them. Like it it was very obvious that he demanded respect through fear and he never got respect outside of that context. Um, But Lil Z never registers that. And he only ever thinks about, how he can further that power. They talk about it devolving into senselessness where like the gang wars just are like, Oh, people just want to take over more businesses so they can take over more businesses. And nobody remembers why this got started. started. Yeah. Yeah. It just gets lost. Whereas Benny was working to like eventually get to a farm and have a family. And it seemed like there was kind of a way out that he was trying to go with the social goodwill he was building um, to the point where he even didn't want to sell drugs anymore. The only reason he did was so he could get a camera for rocket, which was kind of sweet. Um, <laughs> but, but like even that kind of sensibility, that duality of Benny and Lil Z being 
kind of growing up together, best friends, that side of kind of good and evil in a way in this gray area. Um, and Benny's like death was kind of like, that's the end of it. There's, there's not going to be anything else really in this movie. That's going to be it's, nearly it's just striving to be as sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's a couple of things that called out to me. The fact that Shaggy and Benny both had the same dream of becoming farmers and smoking pots with their girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't think either of them would have made a very good farmer, but for some reason, that's the idealized world that they have, like in their <laughs> minds, they're going to escape to someplace and become a farmer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other part is, you know, Benny's definitely not a good person, right? Like he, yeah. he's, he's the coolest hood, but he's there and he's sanctioning a lot of the violence Lil Z does. The movie tries to go out of their way to say like, he's putting, you know, a, a lid on the worst instincts from Little Z. And, and maybe that's true because he's the only one that could insult and challenge Little Z to his face without actually having any repercussions. Um, but he's, he's literally watching him murder people for fun throughout yeah. the entire movie. Um, so I, I, I feel like that was another part of this, like watching it a couple times now. I'm, I'm, you know, Rocket as a narrator, he's, he's not a consistent, he's not particularly a, a trustworthy narrator either. Like the, the way he describes Benny, I think is an idealized version of what Rocket thinks Benny actually is. I think some of the conversations around Angelica and Tiago and the journalism thing also is a little bit idealized from Rocket's perspective. Um, yeah, like randomly, like this is just an aside, but he blames the journalist for a bad experience the first time he had sex, and I'm pretty sure it was his fault. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, definitely. Little, little things <laughs> like that things. just pop up every once in a while. But uh, no, it was funny. Like the journalists are all like clamoring to try and figure out who little Z is. They're, they're angry that they never had a shot, a picture of him because it's so dangerous they can't go in. And if they had just asked, like, that guy would have opened up his home to them and buy them in for, for dinner. Like take as many right, shots yeah. of little Z as possible. <laughs> he was happy to, to do all he those things. He wanted it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, talking about him as a narrator, we, we mentioned earlier the cycle where people kind of escalate into this life of crime in the cycle. Yep. It is contrasted with Rocket uh, twice trying to commit crimes and then just giving up on it, yes. right? Three, three, three times there. <laughs> or three was, times? Yeah, I was trying to remember. The guy from Sao three. Paulo, the girl that ended up hitting on him. They couldn't mm-hmm. rob her. Oh, that's right. And then right. Knock out he now. got her number yeah. and then knocking it out, which then it, it follows our third time. It's the rule. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So he tries and, and he and his friend try and, and just don't, which is interesting because I do feel like the movie wants you to think Rocket gets out at the end, but everyone else we see that has a dream or tries to leave doesn't leave, end up leaving or getting out. No um, one gets out. They kind of stay within the Shaggy's violence. Shaggy's girlfriend that you see like driving off in the distance. You see her. A few yeah, she's right later, back. and she's dating a, a, a drug uh, dealer, right? Yep. Like her idea that she's not going to grow up with kids that her father is, is hood, and that's what gets Shaggy to to commit to changing his life. The moment that that part falls apart for her, she goes right back to it and figures out the best thing for her is to be with someone that's going to be able to protect her and provide. It's sad. What was the guy in the Tinder trio that just went to the church? <laughs> just had the vision Clipper. and was like, "I'm out." Yeah, yeah. I guess he made it out, right? Like, I don't think we see him again. He got shot. I thought he got. He gets he... shot at. Oh. He did not. No, no. He because so he so it's a funny story because like when they go to the motel, the thing the motel actually is is a whorehouse, mm. and so they end yeah. up robbing a bunch <laughs> of job Johns and Pimps, and you see a little clip there where Clipper catches the fact that the dude he's robbing is a priest and right, that yeah. night he's like you know what the priest life is for me guys i need to be yeah. a priest from now on <laughs> can't do right. this like i don't want the violence i gotta go yeah. into the church and he starts like saying a prayer 
And this is like a, another thing we can go into like the police corruption here as well. Like we've, we've walked around the skirts of it, but you know, he's saying a prayer to himself saying like, I, I've walked through the valley of shadow of death as he's going towards the church and the police turn their guns and like start pointing at him. And he's so convinced that God's going to protect them. He doesn't flinch. But yep. the dude behind him who looks a little just, like him, has got just classes some and like yeah. school books, yep. freaks has out when the police chase him. <laughs> as a sa- yeah, he's like a, he's, he's like a stereotypical nerd, right? Like, and, and he starts running like crazy and the police gun him down. And the, he makes it to the church to do his own thing. Um, and then the police have a conversation where they say, like, yeah, I don't think this guy was actually part of the, the heist. I think we should, we made a mistake here. And the other cop just, like, puts a gun in his hand and says, well, not anymore. We'll make it look like he was part of it. Fires the gun, I guess, to get his fingerprints. And you, you follow the gun with the, follow with the, the, yeah, the camera the ricochet comes as it ricochets and ends up hitting um, a side mirror that shows Clipper That's going right. to the church. Yeah. yeah. But, um. You know, that's uh, the first, not even the first, like every single time someone's murdered and the police are around, the first thing you see the cops do is like shake them down, like steal their watch, steal their money, steal their shoes. Yeah, one, like, yeah, one of them, they just take his shoes off. Yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. That's like the cop out in the, uh, out in the woods, whenever they go looking the first time after the tender trio has robbed that whorehouse and they're hanging out in the tree. And it's just that cop there. That's just like, why don't we just take the money from them? And the other cop's like, I'm not going <laughs> to fucking do that. And he's like, why not? I mean, they're, they're not, they're just fucking, you know, kids. Like we just kill them and take the money. It's fine. Um, to, to yep. see that just blatant corruption where like one cop is allowed to wander out loud. What if we just took the money instead of doing anything else? Um, it, it already kind of sets up that precedent that even when, yeah, Clipper is like, you know what? Fuck this tree. I'm going to go be with God. I was like, all right. I can definitely see when they started ye- yelling freeze. I was like, that's the guy behind. I know it's, it's whoever's behind him. That's going to get this. And the cops are going to blame it on them. And it's just going to go this way. Um, but yeah, that yep. was also, what was the vision that was it? The clipper had the vision like and saw like water fish? and a fish. He saw the, like Jesus. And like fish, a fl- I thought it was like a flash bulb. I don't know. Um, he's like hanging out in the tree Is and he just bl- sees a vision in the tree. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I'd wondered about that, and I went back, and I, I was like, I think it's just like a fish and a flash bulb and some water, and that's his. I don't. Yeah, I guess he had a vision, and he just he came to the realization know. that the priesthood was for. I like the fact that they do the trope of like the 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 water falling down the leaf, like it's gonna like a uh, notify the police below him. Yeah, that he's up up above, and it's it's a tense scene, right? They do a good job of making that tense, and you know, it's fun in, in games when they're in the motel shooting. They're making jokes. It's really funny, right? Yeah. And they go into the, the, the jungle to, to escape the cops, and it suddenly becomes very, very tense. And then again, the cutaway to like zero music as you see all the dead people inside the motel, and you're like, I don't remember anyone dying. What happened there? And they don't answer that for a couple of scenes, but the jarring juxtaposition of, of tempo and, and, and music is just beautifully done. Yeah. And when we finally get to that sequence where we find out how everybody died in the motel or the, the whorehouse, like I, I already knew, I knew it was going to be a little dice yeah. from everything he said leading up to that and how he handled the gun. He's got that. You same, mean the gun where he was pointing at yes, a goose? The kid, the kid's sensibilities. <laughs> of, I just want a big, powerful thing. And I have no, I don't give a shit about the repercussions of he's not going to think about those people twice. So I was like, all right, he's, fired the gun when they came out and they were like, he's gone. And they just assumed he was nabbed. I was like, yeah, no, I, I doubt it. I think he did some shit. Um, yeah. and then seeing him go through and kill everybody and just laugh and be like delightful, like giddy. It was just, it's so upsetting. It's so unsettling too, where you're like this, 
I have no idea if, if like anybody has sat this kid down and tried to have any conversation about right or wrong, but clearly she's been hanging out with the Tinder trio and thinking, I got to act tough. I got to have that power. Uh, this is the best way to get it. And a gun is, is the answer to all problems. <laughs> it, it was so disturbing that scene that thinking and, and comparing that to the fact that they did workshops in the favelas to capture these actors that were not really known for anything else, that it made me worry for that kid. Like, yeah. That is a level of intuitive acting that I would not have. I don't know how they got that kid to be so comfortable shooting people that are tied up. He did a great, great job. Like that uh, is. Yeah. I mean, all of the them. The adult were just actor wonderful. that plays little Z also. Looked exactly like them. They were, they were so well cast, like the younger yeah. versions of them and the older versions of them. Just perfect. Yeah. yeah. They did a really good job. But yeah, little Z comes off very horrifying as well. The way he like laughs off the violence and things like that. That actor is really great as well talking about that the circle of violence just just because we're mentioning it after some time we flash back and and see uh rocket's older brother goose when Mm -hmm. he's getting out of the tinder trio he bumps into little dice who's now been using his gun (laughs) and escalating crime himself uh and then I think later again, we eventually flash back to actually see Little Dice shoot Goose. We see that scene like twice from different perspectives. Um, in that moment, they mention the only thing that you have to look out for is a, like the bigger fish, so to speak. The bigger gangster, uh, the bigger hood is the only person who's a threat to you. And we see that again and again. We're like one of our younger up and coming drug lords or hoods or whatever Somebody else comes and takes a little bit of their cut and they get pissed and later betray that person or take over their thing or whatever. Even with the police, like we do kind of initially see some with the police who like shake down and then they get it back later. Right. So there is also that where someone holds on to that grudge of, oh, you took a cut of mine. I want all of it. I don't want to give you a cut. Yeah, yeah. My, my favorite part of that scene is just like trying to get in my mindset of like, you're Goose, you're leaving town. It's been three months since the heist. You see Little Dice for the first time just counting money. And your first thought is, three months after the heist, I'm sure they're just hanging out here counting the money from three months ago with <laughs> no, no other possible reason why they have that money, right? Like, yeah. And the first thing it does is just slap the crap out of the, a Little Dice and just stick the money, right? Well, so, yeah, this assumption of which is honestly what gets everyone who interacts with the runs down the line. Well, I'm older. Like I'm yeah. more established. I'm older. Give me that. You should listen to me. <laughs> they don't see it coming. They never like, do. Little dice then makes, makes the same mistake, right? Like again, the hubris of, you know, dumb tactical mistakes when you're trying to go fight a war before he goes to war with carrot, he arms the little runs. He gives them guns as part of like this master plan to be able to, to beat him on the streets, which is, like you, you're literally not that far removed from forcing one of the runs to sh- kill another run, right? They're remembering that. And now you just hand them gun and you're going to hang out with them. It actually ends up being the kid that survived um, the stake challenge that is the first one to shoot Lil Z. Yep. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's it the, comes back. Yeah. And, and it's that thing where we, we also see that Rocket actually, the runs think Rocket is so cool because Rocket never gave them kind of the time of day to tell them off he's just too yeah. kind of like polite i think in the moment or just just couldn't be bothered with it like he was so fixated on angelica 
that like he was like here just have the rest of my joint and they're like oh this dude's so cool and then he gets like fired from his job because they see him and they're like that's the cool guy and they like steal (laughs) shit from the grocery store but even then he's not like gonna go tell the runs off or any of that he just stays out of it he always stays back from that kind of confrontation because he he seems to have a good uh, understanding that you can only hurt things more when you try to escalate it through that kind of aggression like you're only going to lead to worse things for yourself. Sure. Like being honest might not get you anywhere, but being stupid will get you killed um, one way or another. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to see that journey from rocket to Lil Z with the runts and how it kind of comes full circle at the end. He just takes the picture of the runts, like get, gets that whole moment. I feel like the runts would have gladly posed shooting the shit out of Lil Z for him. and been like, that's the cool guy who gives us joints. Like, well, you want, you want us to be here or there? Or where do you want us? Like they might have the exact same kind of ego. They, they already were going to form a blacklist and everything else when they were leaving. Oh God. They were so violent right before the credits rolled. They're just going through the list of all the people that they need to murder. Yep. Yeah. Now that they're on the streets. Immediately. Crazy. One of them is clearly the tactician. Who's like, who here knows how to write? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just calling <laughs> shots immediately. Like, oh man, here it goes again. Yeah. If you can, if you can do math, you're going to make it really, really high up in the, in the game. You're not a soldier. You're an accountant. Yeah. You get to be yep. the accountant, right? Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm sure we've all learned our lessons and we won't give guns to people who come back to, to bite us later, like Iraq and Afghanistan and Colombia. And <laughs> it's worked out since then, frankly. Yeah. Like, I think that lesson's been learned, right? I think okay. the, uh, yeah, we're all good now. <laughs> yeah, we're good. The, char- the character of uncle Sam had a happy ending in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to come up with something interesting to say about this, but uh, religion, it's like tangentially touched on Bob. I don't know if you guys have a, like a, a strong take on that. Other than the fact that Clipper uses it as an escape vehicle uh, and that the, the religion of the streets is that shaman who gives yeah. uh, Little Dice the amulet that's for protection so long as he doesn't have sex with the amulet on, which he did and then died. So listen to your shaman um, and change his name from Little Dice to Little Z. There's probably something intelligent to say about that. I'm sure someone's written like a dissertation on this. Yeah. It's interesting, right, that the title is City of God and the, you know, the location. It's ironic, right? Yeah. It's almost named as a joke anyway, right? That it's like God's not in this part of the city. Uh, interesting we never see uh, really a shot of Christ the Redeemer either. Like we do stay yeah. away from like stereotypical Rio. We're, we're in the favela. We're not in the touristy There's parts. There's barely any actual whatever. Rio. Whatever touristy parts of Rio exist anymore. The, yeah, the only really religion bit we get is with Z. There is like a quick shot at the beginning with the chickens where we do see like a little of a, a bloodletting. Mm. Um, I'm not sure. Like, there's, I don't know enough gang about members that are saying a prayer before going to war. Yeah, there's that yeah, too. yeah. It to me, it kind of reminds me of like Santeria. Obviously, it's not, but I don't know what the kind of equivalent is in Brazil, but that is sort of a, a common thing where you have this mixing of local cultures and beliefs with the Christianity that's or Catholicism that's crept its way in. And I don't know that there's really any theme. It just is, it happens. There isn't a heavy-handed usage of religion beyond that. Like, I guess you see the priest in in that motel and you see Clippers kind of, I wouldn't say redemption, but his escape and then the prayer circle, um, and the shaman. And those are the main things. I think that it speaks more to, um, just these 
cultural fingerprints of it being present in that structure. And that like anybody who an aspect of life, but not something that they're trying to. Yeah. It, it also seems like it's something that, cause you know, if you don't show it at all, what are the repercussions of that from a cultural standpoint when you're representing this is that I guess the missing, this is like way, way off tangent in my brain, but that somebody who's watching this, who doesn't know anything about that culture would be like, well, that's probably because they just don't have like a big Christian population there or something like, like a really ignorant statement that like somehow religion can solve all of your problems. They just Google Christ the Redeemer and just show them. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> like, they just wouldn't think about that. They're like, they never showed it. So, uh, you know, they, uh, this obviously is in the part that's on the other side of the mountain where Jesus isn't looking. <laughs> <his back. laughs> it's just got his back turned to it. It's interesting that seemingly Clipper choosing God kind of saves him. Right. Because we see that shot into the, which is really cool. Like you think for a moment he's getting shot, but then you see it's the side view mirror. Mm -hmm. Um, But there seems to be an armor on him at that point, which, like I mentioned, no one else who walks away really gets to walk away. Seemingly, when he becomes Z, he has this armor because of that. And the rule is not to fornicate, which he does, but they don't really drive that point home. It's not like he immediately dies afterwards. Like in another sort of Chekhov gun situation in another movie, it would have been like it's true. immediately obvious the downfall was immediate afterwards where it's actually like not exactly like it does happen, but it isn't this clear like your armor's broken. The one last thing that I did some research on, and I just want to talk about it because it's interesting, mm-hmm. is uh, the history of race inside of Brazil. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting to me because you see in this movie, again, if you don't know anything about it, you're looking at this movie and it seems really, really integrated. Like you have Tiago, who is extremely white with red hair. You have um, a Rocket, who's extremely dark. Um, and you have everything sort of in between. But they don't really make mention of the, the tiered level of these kinds of things. They don't talk about it as much in the public eye. And I think there's a, a conception that Brazil itself has sort of moved past race. I think a lot of people, even in Brazil, would say that. Mm. But it's not true that the systemic inequalities aren't still there. It's not true that there isn't just an enormous amount of embedded racism in the system itself. And you do see that a little bit in the movie with all of the white journalists that are there, all of the white cops that are there. It's only white people in power outside of the city that the city itself is very integrated. But uh, outside in the real world where people actually have power beyond just with those, uh, the favelas, it is very much still a a European ancestry kind of dominance in the the country itself. There's a few offhand inward usage where they kind of like do have it but it like it's not out and out it's just sort of said in a few situations where you know particular character views looks down that way yeah, yeah. They, they talk about the police as well just starting to associate it's just easier for the police to think that anybody from the favelas is a hood mm-hmm. and that right. they are thereby justified in any of their actions and it doesn't matter but they also don't really like if you're from that place or you're passing through and you have lighter skin, I'm fairly certain the police will not give you as much of a hard time as if you have darker yeah. skin. Like that's still just going to happen. And it, it is an interesting like Brazil. You, you say like they feel like they've moved past it, but certainly their political climate now, the recent riots post election and some of the political turmoil, but the horrible political corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bolsonaro that, it's himself like. There's a, a yeah. quote. I don't know if you guys read this in the news when it happened, but um, I'm just going to read it just to, to see what your reactions are. He said he was asked about uh, his time um, 
going through indigenous populations inside Brazil. And his response was, there was this time I was in Surukuru and an Indian had died and they were cooking him. And they cook Indians. It's their culture. Yes, to eat. They cook it for two or three days and then they eat it with a banana. I wanted to see if an Indian being cooked. Uh, I wanted to see an Indian being cooked, but the guy said, if you go, you have to eat it. And I said, I'll eat it. But no one else in my group wanted to go. So I didn't go. But I did an Indian. No problem. No problem at all. It's their culture. So, yeah. Race is still an issue. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 The, and the, the, the rural city divide in the indigenous population and the representation is very rough. Yeah. Very, very rough. The, the other thing I'll mention is uh, they, they outlawed slavery in 1888 after being the largest market for the transatlantic slave trade uh, with about 4 million folks. Um, fun side historical note uh, more than. Uh, a couple thousand people from the United States, uh, from the Confederacy after the Civil War, went to Brazil because they wanted to be a part of a place that still had slavery. And they committed um, local crimes, uh, assassinations, and tried to start a rebellion inside of Brazil as they started realizing that they were moving towards anti-slavery positions as well. Um, and until like two years ago, they still had the descendants of the Confederados uh, from the United States South uh, that would get together and have a party every year uh, uh, honoring the ancestry of the Confederacy with nice Confederate flags all over the place. Is that like the same week as the Nazis that fled to Brazil? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if the Nazis actually created a city. Uh, This one's called Americana, Brazil. (laughs) Okay. Very, very subtly named. Yeah. Uh, Ironically, they don't get along, the Nazis. (laughs) 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 Well, that's unfortunate that that's still alive and kicking. Okay, so how how many times have you seen this movie, Warner? Like four or five now. Okay, maybe gotcha. more than that. Actually, I've probably seen it. Yeah, maybe five, six, kind of similar. You guys know it had a sequel in Brazil. I know it had. A, yeah, yeah, City of Men. I haven't watched. It's awful. Don't watch. None of the people from it. It just tells a different story in a different area, and it's just sort of like it's violent and it's an episodic thing. I don't. Oh. I'm not a big fan. It's weird. This thing is so beautifully done, but most of the people associated with it didn't go on to do like anything else. Right. Mm. Um, the director uh, was a director for Constant uh, Gardner, right? Um, and was it The Two Popes, which is, I think, the HBO or the Showtime thing? Yeah. Mm. But nothing really else. Um, the actors, obviously, they were not really big names and they did not go on to become big names. A couple of things here and there in Brazil. But man, this is like the magnum opus for all of them. Uh, I was curious if there was anything else that we, we that y'all have picked up on. I mean, you said, Warner, that the more that you watch it, the more you see new things. Uh, this is obviously my first time. I have no idea what to scan the screen for. I'm not entirely sure which characters are what. I'm way more gripped to the story in the moment. Um, so I'm curious if there are other things that you wanted to, to bring up. Yeah, I think, I think what you're starting noticing is just all the foreshadowing and the, the connections of the characters later on in the show as well. Um, the, the way that the music, I mean, you get this the first time through. I think you, you sort of appreciate it more if you focus in on just the way the music changes from scene to scene. There's some split screening. We didn't talk about that either with the, you know, with the directing, the cinematography, but there's a few scenes where we follow two different things simultaneously or, or split screening. Um, and it's interesting that I kind of felt like watching it. There's one that you're more clearly directing to. Anytime you have that, your mind kind of is like, do I pay attention to both? And then I don't really get anything or I focus in on one. Um, and it's like on this kind of like rewatch of something like this, I try to really focus in on the one that's clearly kind of the secondary within the view. 
to try to get like, okay, why was that important enough for us to see that perspective? I do want to make one correction uh, myself there. There's one person that did make it on to, besides the director, that uh, something that you may have seen, Ryan at least, is um, the cinematographer Caesar Charlone went on to do the Netflix series The Punisher. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. John Berthold. Interesting. Mm-hmm, with, yeah, that one. Okay. I was going to say, the, the other thing that stands out to me, and this is like my excuse to mention this movie all the time, <laughs> mm-hmm. is whenever things come up, I actually will mention this a lot at work. This is like one of my like stories I go back to. Certain things will happen, and I will always go back to the like rule of three set of scenes right. when Knockout Ned and Carrot first kind of start their gang together against Little Z. And initially it's like, a, hey, we're not going to kill innocent people the way the other oh, gangsters yeah. do. And then in the first time they go out, Carrot's about to and they stop him. The second time it's like a self-defense. And the third time it's kind of also a self-defense, but they're like, it's over, right? Like we shot two people, the rule's broken a couple of times, whatever. It's not a rule anymore. Um, and I'll point that out. Like this, that happens, you know, with me at work where there'll be that kind of thing where it's like, well, that we'll let that go the first time. It's like, once you let it go like three times, you just let it go. Like it, it obviously yeah. wasn't important anymore as a rule. This movie has a set of threes that go through it. You've already mentioned it once before with something else. Didn't you, Ryan, beyond those? Yeah, rules? where Rocket fails to commit a crime three times yeah. in a row. And I guess probably fails to get girls three times in a row too, honestly. <laughs> yeah. It's just like after those three times at all, like, sure, just, just move on to something different. That's why they say if you first, you don't succeed, try, try again. Cause there's two more tries, obviously. And, and then so. give up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the unspoken <laughs> other part of that saying. <laughs> uh, I, I know you have like a 20 page uh, essay on your side, Werner. Uh, you got, I mean, the- it, was, it was a scene by scene breakdown. So I, I feel like, there's so much, I, again, like every single scene is just trying to tell you so much. It's, um, it's a wonderful movie. Please take your time, rewatch it. There's going to be things that you catch the second time that you didn't catch the first time. Because the first time emotionally, you're just going to be so invested in that story the same, in the same way you were saying, John. So yeah, I, I, again, I feel like it's one of the, everyone knows it's really good, but a lot of people just skip over it and I don't know why. Um, so I'm glad, I'm glad to give you the opportunity, John, to, to watch it. I yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, I think. Like, obviously, I mentioned at the top, this is, like, one of my top five movies. This is something I definitely recommend to people. Um, I do think it, just by the nature of being a foreign film, kind of gets looked over. I really appreciate that so many Korean films recently have kind of broken through that. And I'm hearing more people, you know, certainly as well, anime has also helped break that barrier but in that, people are looking at Japanese and Korean and, you know, traditionally French and Italian cinema. But there are these really great cinema that has already been made. You know, if you look back, that's being overlooked from especially a country like Brazil that um, just the sheer poverty makes it hard to get a budget or get people together or whatever. Even at this time now, yeah. digitization of everything we should see more things like this, but this is one that kind of hit at a time where people weren't quite into foreign films and now maybe they are, but they need to go back and, and catch something like this. So one more thing I'll mention about the movie is its impact afterwards. Like this showed a spotlight in a way that nothing really had in the favelas and it ends in the nineties. Things only got worse in the favelas after that. Uh, we're talking about 25% of the population in Rio de Janeiro. Um, but around the time that the movie was, was shown, there was, serious efforts to try and clean up and provide 
um, sanitation, uh, better better utilities for that area. Uh, there were initiatives where they were trying to bring the structure of the favelas into uh, the local governance as well. Then when uh, Rio hosted the, the World Cup in 2016, there were massive efforts to clean up the corruption and clean up the, um, uh, the streets from drug lords uh, as well. Uh, that was a joint effort from the military and the police over several, several years. There were some interesting stories that came out of that as well. Like when we talk about the, the temporary housing, the favelas are a structure on this. It's generations of just people throwing shit together with no codes, right? Just, and they yeah. create these massively intricate tunneling systems and networks inside of these, these communities. And you saw that when it started getting torn up through these raids from the police and the, and the military. My favorite is the drug lord that made uh, international news for having a mural of Justin Bieber, uh, among the many, many other things <laughs> he had inside of his mansion inside the favela. Um, but it was, it was kind of crazy. You can go back and see some articles from them, some pictures as well, like these ridiculously intricate, you know, honestly, beautifully designed uh, systems that people had to create out of, out of thin air with no help and no assistance. But, um, you know, things are still not perfect, obviously, but they're a lot better than they were in the 2000s when the movie was, was released. Yeah, it's, it's interesting the, the pattern of crime that the runts have, where they're just that absolutely brazen. The, you, you every so often will see a video from Rio in particular of these crimes where someone just waits until a garage door goes up and runs in, right, and attacks somebody. There, there are groups gangs that will do kind of gang robberies where they sort of like run in and grab as much stuff as possible which we see some in the movie mm-hmm. to just overwhelm like it's so coordinated it's just like if we just overwhelm they can't catch us if we have 20 people run in it's it's too much chaos and the police just kind of raise their hands about it i did i did see one last year where a crossfit gym had gone outside to run on the street and as they run by a restaurant it causes a mass panic Oh, because no. they they think it's a group of gang members running through to grab purses, and so everyone in the restaurant yeah. like gets up and starts running, and then it causes like two or three restaurants further down to start running because it's just all of these people all running, assuming that there's a crime when it's just like it was a CrossFit group jogging. Wow. <laughs> but yeah. I will say, two Chinese restaurants and a Thai restaurant were simultaneously knocked over in, in my area, which is a really low crime area outside of Los Angeles. Uh, so I'm not saying like, I'm not throwing shade or anything like that kind of stuff does happen um, everywhere. We're all one TikTok challenge away from being murdered. We're eating Tide Pods. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, John, you recommended it, I'm assuming? Uh, I would recommend I this. Yeah, I would totally recommend this movie. Um, Sasha sat down at the end of it. She didn't watch the end of it. She just sat down when the credits were rolling because she knew that I was watching the movie for tonight. And uh, she was just like, was it um, violent? And I was like, yes. And she was like, was it sad? And I was like, yes. She was like, was it good? I was like, it was great. (laughs) Uh, And and I probably need to go back and clarify that it was not great because of the violence. (laughs) It was not great because of the sadness. It was great because of the composition of it all and how um, just like uh, it just was a real gut punch in so many ways. And at the same time, it's so epic and in in the way that it's told and gripping. Um, So yeah, again, would recommend it for sure. Yeah. Like Darla thought that it was a good movie like afterwards. And she said she had remembered seeing it and remembering it being good. But then this time I was like, Oh, I remember why I didn't want to watch it again. 
Um, but it is interesting that usually she's critical of like a movie about a bunch of people doing shitty people doing shitty things. And honestly, that's what this movie is. You do have Rocket to kind of follow. And so there is sort of a character that we're presented with as being a good person. Yeah, Yeah. that you can kind of identify with. Yeah, more hopeful humanity to cling on to. Yeah. So, okay. Well, I mean, sounds like we got all of our things covered. How many of our pages we've written in the past about it. Uh, And we'll wrap up this episode. Well, I have, I I have a question. Sorry, oh, Ryan. Oh, go, a, go. I have a question real quick. Uh, if you could have a mosaic in your favela slum lord mansion, what would it be, Warner? Does it have to be a pop star or just- It a- does not have to be a pop star. <laughs> <laughs> well, after this experience, John, I'd say the three of us. Oh, yay. Oh, yeah. An afterthoughts <laughs> mural. Courtney. That would be great. <laughs> Ryan, what would you have? Oh man, that's tough now. See, now you threw me on spot. <laughs> yeah, I gotta I gotta be like my obvious self if anybody knows me. There'd be something with wolves. <laughs> all oh, oh, yeah. wolves all over the place. <laughs> I would just, yeah, three three wolf moon. Just <laughs> oh man. Um What about you, John? And John? Yeah, that's a good that's a really good question. It would have to be like I mean, I collect schlock. That's my movies are all that. It has to be like a Canon Films tribute mosaic or something. Oh, where man. you have like a Chuck Norris and a Charles Bronson and oh, a bunch of God. other like Michael Dudikoff, obviously, further in the back uh, somewhere. <laughs> Even Seagal kind of there, but not quite there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything's just a little bit off with it, uh, just like any Canon film. <laughs> but yeah, that's probably what I would pick. I think that's my Ye- that's my mosaic. <laughs> You want you ever see those places that will draw their own video cassette covers like oh, back in yeah. the day for the for the rentals? You want like that level of yeah, it's like you know like <laughs> of the, art style. The GameStop when they don't uh, have a game cover, uh, that same yeah. kind of thing where they just have to make something up. <laughs> Anybody listening to this, what would your mural be <laughs> in your favela uh, palace? Bri- what, what would it? Right let in. us know. By all means, best mural gets an RV trip with Ryan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best mural. <laughs> Uh, some restrictions apply. <laughs> I'll take you halfway across the country and leave you. Yeah. <laughs> In the forbidden zone. <laughs> With the forbidden, yes. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Ryan. My question yeah. is asked and thoroughly answered. Thank you. No, good one. Great one. Uh, well, we'll, uh, we'll sign off then. I'm Ryan King. Uh, with me today, we have our usual... Yep, John Garcia, working on my mosaic now, getting started. Yeah, and thank you to our special guest. Werner Hung, and thank you guys for having me. Yeah, Werner, thanks for being on. It was great. Yeah, it was awesome. Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.